Today's a little bit different day, and uh, TJ was away, and then Annie got sick, so we didn't have a band, but you know what? God is here, isn't he? Is God not in a screen and, uh, in, and <laughs> music through the speakers? God is here, and we just, you know what? We can get so trapped in, in doing things religiously, things that we're just, we get so used to, and as soon as that changes, then it's like, whoa, 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 what's happening? We don't need any of this. We don't need this building. We don't need these comfy chairs. We certainly don't need AC. I guess the AC decided that that wasn't necessary today. So it's not here as well. But I just thank you, God, that you're with us. Uh, I, the Lord brought me into the book of Joshua, and I just want to springboard very quickly from where we've been preaching. And, and we've been talking about God taking us triumphing with us. That's the purpose of the church. God called his people to be triumphant. It's a triumphant church. It's a victorious church. We are not prideful, but we are not weak. Remember, David was very humble. He came with five smooth stones in his bag, right? And a small sling. He was a shepherd boy. He was young. He was as humble as you're going to get. And yet he stood in victory and in triumph even before Goliath ever came out against him. Before Goliath ever taunted him, before he ever stood and rose before him, which was going to fall. But before any of that, David was already victorious. He was already triumphant walking out there. He was trusting in his God. It wasn't a stone. It wasn't a sling. It was God. We are a triumphant church. We are supposed to be a triumphant, victorious people. I'm going to say it again. We are not a prideful people. That is not pride. Jesus was victorious. He walked upon the earth with victory. Nothing could touch him. Even when they put him on a cross, he said, I'm letting you put me on this cross just so you know. No one is doing this without my will. And my will actually is, is, is willing to let the will of my father bypass mine. Oh, that's a tongue twister. But I think you got it. And the point is that we are victorious. We are supposed to be walking in God's promise. And, and when I say that, sometimes if I say that to older Christians, we can get a picture of what God's promise is, and I think it's been skewed. So I don't want you to, I want you just to erase. If you can agree with me, there's only a few older, like old, old ones in here, right? <laughs> Everybody's young. Look at this young crowd. Yeah. But God's promise, the greatest promise of all, is not on earth. God's promise is eternity. The greatest promise he gave us is eternity. It was not this earth. The second greatest promise he gave us, if you could even put a list, I'm, it's dangerous to even give you a list. So it's not a second, it's equal, but another. Another, there we go. Is the Holy Spirit... And what the Holy Spirit does is He confirms. He confirms God's ultimate promise and helps us get there. And so we are supposed to be a church of promise, walking in His promise, walking victorious. But we find, as we read through, and I'm not going to re-preach the last sermons, but we saw the story of them going through. They went through the wilderness. I preached back in the spring. But then there was a time where God calls Joshua, and He says, let's go in, and it's time. 
The time has come to be the church. And the generation that didn't trust God, those that, that Jesus tells us, New Testament, Jesus tells us there will be a time I'm going to sift the wheat from the chaff. There's a time where whoever doesn't trust God, whoever doesn't want God, whoever is not interested in God, there will be a time. There is going to be a time where God's going to call his church and those that call upon the Lord and those that fully trust in the Lord are going to be called up into eternity. And those that don't want God, those that haven't trusted in God, those that, that say, well, I just, you know, I'm going to do my own thing and, and this is what I think and I think this and there's this God and there's that God and there's all these other gods and what about the other and, and, and so on and all of that. God's going to say, well, I'm sorry, the time has come. Now we see in the picture, in the picture in Joshua, it's an earthly picture. So I don't believe those, those people went to hell. I believe they went into a temporary holding place where it says in the New Testament that Jesus actually went and preached to the captives, right? He went and preached to them, gave them the gospel. Hey, listen, you didn't trust me, but it's not truly fair because in the future, they're going to have me and they're going to have the Holy Spirit. So I'm here. Do you believe in me now? But the eternity, the picture that this, uh, this story of Joshua actually points to New Testament, post-Christ. I don't like drawing lines in the Old Testament, New Testament, but I'd like you to take this story and you can't think of this promise as a place on earth because that's not what it is anymore. All of that is done. The promised land is not a place. Israel is not the promised land. I still believe that God loves his people and he loves that land, but that's not the promised land. The promised land is eternity. Your promise, fully entering into your promise, fully entering into the, to the promises of God is an eternal thing. It's not a temporary thing. It's not an earthly thing. Now, with that said, God loves you so much. God cares about every single little detail in your life. And you can actually walk in what could seem like eternal promises, although they don't even compare to eternity right here on earth. God will bless you, take care of you. And if you're in a time of crisis and trial where the blessings aren't obvious, then you're going to see him with his protective hand. You're going to see his merciful hand. And all of these things are all promised blessings here on earth. But what we don't want to get as Christians is get this picture of, a, of an, an arrival here on earth. We don't want as Christians, because it's a false picture. It's a picture that's been painted by the devil. I love, I love the fact that love is not the right word, but it's interesting that the devil gets us to divide the line between the Old Testament and New Testament, but then he loves Christians getting into the Old Testament and getting into that promised land and grabbing hold of that, which then gets you, this is your focus. Your focus is, well, if I just do this, this, and that for God, and if I serve him this long, and if I exceed in this and excel in that, and if I'm this good and that good and clean and pure and all these things, then one day all the money that I need is going to be there and everything's going to be perfect. I'm going to have a white picket fence and two and a half kids and a little dog running around the yard, and that's going to be my life. And that's a false picture. That is not the truth. You're, you want a white picket fence? That's fine. Start sitting, they used to have an old saying in Christianity, sending wood up, up, up into heaven. Sending my logs, what's the, come on, come on old timers, help me. What's that, what's the phrase? It's an exact phrase. Okay, nobody remembers. The point was, you're sending logs into heaven. You, what you do here on earth, that counts, the things that count. We're doing lots of things that don't count. We're doing things just living life and it doesn't mean anything. 
And the things that you're doing for the kingdom, the things that you're doing pleasing before the Lord with his will as your focus, those things are actually sending, they're setting up a home. Jesus said, I'm leaving to go prepare a place for you. There's a promise that, I'm, that it's through me. I'm the promise, Jesus is saying. I'm the promise. I'm it. And through me, we're going to enter into an eternal land. Ultimately, we know that it's not even going to be in heaven long term. Temporary until all things are wrapped up. What's he going to do? He's going to recreate an Eden-like place. Remember, the, the promised land, you don't really want a temporary earthly promised land anyway. Because that place came with all this struggle and trial and, and enemies. We want the eternal promise, an Eden promise, where the lion and the lamb lay down together. That's what we want. That's the promise you want. So I just want to encourage you today to get your eyes on the Lord more than ever. To get our eyes on Him. To get our eyes on the kingdom. To get our eyes on eternity. The devil has a way and, and I don't have to convince you because you know of getting us to look at the temporary things. And Don and I were just talking about how so many times there's legitimate reasons. The enemy will use legitimate excuses in your life. Things that you just can't help or can't avoid. He'll put those things around you to get you busy, to get you focused on you, to get you focused on this earth. Meanwhile, God is all the while, if you listen to him, all the while the Holy Spirit is, I, I mean, he's knocking at our door so loud, but we're just listening to, we're trying to, we're, uh, 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 so many different things and we don't ever take a, a moment just to breathe and see that the Holy Spirit's actually saying, you don't need to do all those things. You don't need to do all that. This earth is vanishing. This place is vanishing. All of these things are vanishing. It's eternity. It's the kingdom. Do you know it's, you could do so many things. You could do so many ministries in your flesh and in the natural. And actually, God, at the end of time, the Bible says, if you're going to build build it first of all on the foundation of Jesus Christ and him alone. But then when you build on it, the Bible says that there are building materials. You can use gold, you can use silver, you can use precious stones, or you can use wood, hay, and stubble. All of those things will build. But the Bible says to build with the things that have been tested with fire because right before eternity, right before you go in, he's going to test you. He's going to test your life. He's going to look at what you've done with your life and he's going to try it with fire. And the thing is that if you built with Jesus Christ as your focus, if you built with gold and silver and precious th stones, if your life is built on kingdom things, if everything that you are and everything that you do is just about eternity and about Jesus and about serving him and about loving him, then your life and everything that you are goes into eternity with you. They say you can't take it with you. That's a lie. You can take the kingdom of God with you. You can't take wood, hay, and stubble. The temporary things, they're burned, they rot. And the Bible says the fire will take and it will burn away all of those things that you did that were temporary. They weren't eternal things. We need to be about eternity. We need to be about the kingdom of God. The Lord is calling us, and I love this scripture. We found it in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. It's God 
commending this man, Caleb, as they went in, because this is what God, and I believe that he just started to show me, started to show me the promise, started to show me the eternity, started to show me the kingdom. We read, and, and if we start to realize that this is an eternal thing, this is not a temporary thing, this is not an earthly thing, this is not, let me do these things and become such and such or somebody in this earth, but it's an eternal view. Then we start looking and we see that there was a people that because they didn't trust God, their time came. They came, there was a gate, there was a door, there was the crossing Jordan, and their time was, I don't trust God, and they were left on the other side. And the only people that crossed over was Joshua and Caleb, and because the Bible says that they followed God, actually in Numbers 33, verse 12, it says that Joshua and Caleb were the only two, and I love how it says it in the NLT, it says they wholeheartedly followed God the Lord. But back to Numbers chapter 14, 24, talking about Caleb, it says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, I want you everybody to say out loud, let's pull that up in the amplified for me, please. I want you to say it out loud that my servant Caleb, okay. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't put my hearing aid in. (laughs) All right, now let's try it again. Let's just try it here. Because I have a different spirit and I will follow him fully. Because of that, God will bring you into the land. Say, come on, I want you to, I want you to look up. I want you to look towards heaven. Heaven's not really up. I mean... It's the way our minds perceive it. <laughs> but let's just look up. God, I want to enter your promise, and I want everything that my life was supposed to be. I want to be everything that you called me to be, and I don't want to be anything else. And I want to enter that promise, and Lord, you already told us how to do it. How do we get into that promise? How do you enter the promise? How do you get what God has placed in your life? How do you become who he's called you to be? There's very simple uh, explanation in the word, and it's clear all the way through. This is Old Testament, all the way through to Christ, pointing that it's the same exact thing. We'll look at some of the scriptures. It's the same exact thing that God has always been asking of us, and that's to be different. It's a different spirit. You can't have the spirit of the world and enter into the kingdom. You can't have your own will and enter into the place of God's will be done. He said he had a different spirit and he followed me fully. Come on, one more time, ready? I have a different spirit and I will follow him Partially. (laughs) Simon says, you're not supposed to repeat that part. Nobody's paying attention. No, you were. I know. You were. Dawn said it. Dawn was paying attention. I'm going to follow him fully. God's calling us to have a different spirit. You know, that's the only way you're going to make it. We need to realize this. We need to look, when we look at Old Testament, I am completely opposed to dividing lines, old and new, and I'm also completely opposed to those who don't think it's necessary. I'm also just as equally 
opposed to those who take the great stuff of Abraham's blessing and the promises and all these great things of, of the Old Testament, and then they mix the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, but they forget about eternity and hell and things like that. It's the whole picture, but we need to get this picture. We need to understand that when we apply Jesus Christ to this story, that there is a dividing line. There is no more of you. You need to leave you behind once and for all. You need to leave everything behind. And Jesus tells us, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, verse 33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. It's very clear. The Bible, there's a mystery in it, and it's not the language. The mystery is not the translation. The mystery is our, is our flesh mind that is just looking at this world through our own perception, through our own will. And the, even though the words, I believe the Bible was never meant to be, was never meant to be confusing. And I totally reject that the Bible is confusing and it's hard to understand. I completely 100% reject that. It is not hard to understand. What it is hard to do is, it's hard to bring your will and your flesh and your way into his word and try to get a picture. You gotta leave you behind because once you are willing to say whatever you say, you have to say what Jesus said. Not my will, out loud, ready? Not my will, but your will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Once we look through those eyes, then it's easy. Jesus said it. It's not confusing. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Oh, well, you know, wait a second, preacher. You don't understand. I, I you know I, I need to do this. I need to do that. And there's just, there's just so many things, so many things that, I need, that I'm, I'm worried about and I'm trying to work out. And Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, do you realize, do you realize that this place, that this is just a, a, a vapor? Do you realize that this is not it? This is not it. So all those things that you're worried about and all those things you're striving for are temporary. They're going to pass away. Don't you realize that? Jesus said, seek, you want a promise? I want you to have the promise. In fact, I want you to have the promise more than you want the promise. But the promise is not here on earth. The only part truly, like I said, there are many people who have been extremely blessed by God. And then there are those that God said, leave everything behind and go to Africa and be my missionary. And they are just as equally blessed kingdom from the view of God down to earth. From our view, it doesn't look the same. God's looking at them just as blessed because the night the witch doctor tried to put a spell on them, come on, don't tell me this stuff's not real. God protected them and sent a mighty angel and struck that guy. God's blessing that he wants for you, the ultimate blessing that you get here on earth, 
no matter what the picture looks like through your view, no matter what your actual life and things looks like, no matter what it is, whether it's dirt or concrete for your floor, no matter what it is, how refined, how poor, the greatest promise that you can have here on earth is Him. He's the security, and that is through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and, and, why would Jesus tell us an and if it wasn't possible to do this? And live righteously. Seek the kingdom and live righteous. It's not a confusing gospel. We just don't want to do it. When it gets confusing and when it gets weird, it's because we got back into our way. It's very simple. Seek his kingdom and live righteously. And there's another and. I love this and. Come on, you want, you want a little taste of it? You want a little bit of the real? It's, it's only temporary. But the Lord's well aware of your needs here. In fact, that's with this passage. I don't want to preach that. I just preached that some weeks ago. I don't want to get into that. But he's well aware of it. He says, don't worry. I'll take care of all of it. He's well aware of your needs, but he says, and he will give you everything you need. Come on, I'm going to put your hands up. Let's just tell him, Lord, I have needs, and I know you're going to meet them. Amen. Now, there's, that's God's part. His part's done. It's already working for you. And he says, okay, perfect. Now, set your eyes on me. Seek my kingdom and live righteously. <laughs> I love his gospel. Don't you love the word? Yeah. Paul said, uh, I love this. It's in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says, and I love how it says this in the NLT. It says, I know how to live on almost nothing. And I know how to live with everything. I love the NLT because there's a little, there's a Hebrew word here that's been translated as, as just uh, learned. But it's actually the depth of this word right here, the NLT pulls it out, is I learned the secret. I didn't, didn't just learn something. I learned something that that is, it's hidden. There's a depth. There's something that you have to go through. There's something that you have to experience. There's a secret that I learned. I learned something that most of us don't realize in the flesh. He's even writing to the church and he's saying, I learned a secret that maybe some of you don't even know yet. I learned that it's not about here. Come on. I learned that it's not about this earth. I learned that it's not about my human body. Because we can go to Jesus and they said, Jesus, you got to be hungry by now. You've been ministering and ministering and ministering. I haven't seen you eat. And he said, my food doesn't come from here. I'm paraphrasing. It's not an earthly thing. This body, it's technically, I'll tell you a secret, Peter. Technically, the body's a little hungry. But my body is not me. This is just temporary. I'm doing an eternal thing and I've got an eternal food that's feeding me. He said, I've learned a secret of living. Come on, everybody. Who wants the secret of living in every situation? I do. No matter what. 
That means, and you hear me say this often, your situation is irrelevant. There is no but. There is no, well, my life's a little bit different. Mine's hard to describe. I've been through a few different things. I was raised differently. I was raised a Christian. I was raised by hell. Right? That's some people's story. It doesn't matter. Because when you come to Christ, none of those things matter. There's only one thing that one thing that matters. And it was the secret of living in every situation, whether it be with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And you can apply this. It's not, he was specifically talking about his physical needs, but you can apply this to every single thing in your life. It's not just about the stomach. Because who is who has another stomach? An appetite for things, an appetite for pleasure, an appetite for fun. There's another stomach in us, and that's actually the greater stomach. Who has not eaten? Who's forgotten to eat when you're having fun? You're having so much fun, you forgot to eat. I hate those days because I love to eat, and I don't enjoy fasting. God calls me to fast sometimes, and I don't enjoy it. So the days I fast by accident really ticks me off. It's because it was another stomach. There's another stomach. And what he's telling us here, and what you can apply that to that stomach, whatever you could fill your life with, whatever you could give it, it, you might be full, you might be having the greatest time of your life, and you might be at the worst time of your life. And that stomach for pleasure, that stomach for fun, that stomach for ease, or just maybe your, maybe your stomach is, I just like to relax. I don't like to let anything phase me. And maybe you are in a tornado right now. Maybe you're in a whirlwind right now, and that stomach for ease isn't being, isn't being fed. And you're in chaos, and God's telling you, hey, listen, I've got a secret. It's right there. It's in my word. And hey, everybody, you love, you love quoting Philippians 4, verse 13, but go back to 12. Read that first. Read that first. It's not just through Christ can do anything. Let's go back and read 12 first, because it applies to every single part of your life. Verse 13. For I... He's the secret, but it's not just through Christ who gives me strength. And we, we can pray that. Sometimes we pray that, and then we go, well, God, why aren't you doing it? Where are you? And the reality that we need to realize is that Paul just said, there were times when I was empty. He didn't say that Christ filled me. He just said, sometimes life's not enjoyable. Sometimes I'm empty, but I found, a, I found somewhere between. If you were to graph the high times and the low times, I found a way to cut through that graph. I found that it didn't matter what was going on in my life, whether it was good or bad or fun or not fun. I found that Christ gave me a secret door. I found a secret door that I can cut through life and the situations that pull people away and that bog people down and give entrance to the devil. Those things no longer have a place in me because I've set my eyes on the kingdom, on Jesus Christ, and there's a strength that I found in him that bypasses the natural. That's how we need to live. And the Lord's speaking, it's hard it's sometimes hard to hear sermons like this because we all are going through internal struggles here and there. But for the most part, we live really good lives here. 
They're coming up with all kinds of labels on diseases, right? More than ever. Labels and labels and labels and labels and labels. And the funny thing is, and if, if, you, if anybody has given you that label, I'm not here to offend you. That's not what I'm talking about. But the funny thing is when you go to like a third world country, you go to a place where they physically don't have food, none of those other titles for those diseases exist. Their, 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 their anxiety has nothing to do with who likes them and who offended them and who's bullying them and so on. It's just, I'm hungry. And, and, and I'm not saying that those things, that you don't go through real things, but what I'm trying to say is that maybe, just maybe, that the devil's using a situation around you to create something around your life, create a cloud, to create just anything and then they, we love to put a, a title on it and a prescription on it just so that we get our eyes off of the real answer, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not telling anybody to stop seeing your doctor, stop taking your pills. I need to say that disclosure, disclosure. Just saying that Paul found the secret. That's the secret. That's the secret. No matter what, no matter in good times and bad times, whether in third world or first world, there's a secret to getting through it all. And that is Jesus and Jesus only. Can we ever just, can we not just preach about Jesus? I mean, he's the gospel. He is the gospel. There's lots of other good things that we can talk about and, and we will in this church as just part of being believers and part of being Christians, but Jesus should be the most common word in our language. Should be in every other sentence. Well, you know, your life, you could try this and that, but Jesus. And, you know, and, and consider this and consider that and look at this, but, but Jesus. Jesus should be the common thread to every single answer. Every single one should be, well, I'm, I, I did do this and I tried that and I, and I have this working around me and I have these friends and I have this group, but Jesus ultimately is my anchor. Jesus is the reason. Paul also said something else in 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he said, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything. Sometimes, church, you need to forget everything except, except 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 says, accept Jesus Christ. Sometimes you need to, let me say it again, sometimes you need to forget everything except one thing. Just forget it all. I told you last week, or a couple weeks ago, I'm going to write a book. It's called The One-Step Plan. And it just says Jesus. One step for your best life now, Jesus. He said, 
I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Sounds like NNC. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to transition just for these next few minutes. As I've said so many times, you can't mind over matter your faith. It's not just declarations. You can say whatever you want out of your mouth. It's the actual living, right? It's the living that makes the difference. But I want to tell you that the real, the fullness to this secret is right here. It's hidden in these, in these scriptures. The fullness to this is that it is impossible for you to do it. So Jesus says, I'm the only way, seek me, live righteously, and I'll take care of everything. But it's impossible for you to do. But, capital B, don't worry. I love that, but don't worry because I'm going to send you my spirit who will enable you to not just live righteously like you look at people and say, well, that's a righteous person because actually if you were to peel back the curtain inside them, they're rotten inside. He said, I'm going to make you live truly righteous. And when your eyes are off of me, I'm going to speak to you through the voice of the Holy Spirit and show you your eyes aren't on the kingdom right now. Tony, you're building your own kingdom right now. Come back, build mine. The Holy Spirit will very quickly speak to you, doesn't he? And gets you back on track. You cannot do that on your own. If we can say, yes, Jesus, he gives me strength. Put it on t-shirts. I have a t-shirt that says I can do all things. Christ gives me strength. That's great. But then unless we rely on the Holy Spirit, who is doing one thing, Jesus told him, he's going to shine his light back on me and on my words. If you want to know if you're leaning on the Holy Spirit, you're living by the word of God. It's very simple. If you're picking and choosing what you want in the word, if you're saying, well, I love Jesus, I just don't like that he said this, so I'm not going to believe it. Then the Holy Spirit's not leading in your life because he will only speak, he will only lead you through his word. It's the only thing that we have as an anchor. I thank God that he preserved this book because without it, do you know what happened without this Bible? Do you know how many S-E-C-T-S's, sects of Christianity, that we have today? And you know how that happened? Very simple. You can go back to, the, to their story and boil it down to one thing. They veered from the word of God. Every single one, every single sect of Christianity, every religious branch of Christianity, they started mixing in their own books. The book, the one step, the one book became a volume. I am not opposed to all kinds of steps pointing back to Christ with buts Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus. I'm not opposed to the steps. What I'm opposed to is the volumes of intellect and of wisdom and of mind. And because you know what happens? We get off. We get weird. And more importantly, besides your mind, there is, there were gods. Our word is filled with it, with foreign gods, devils, and demons being worshiped and creating ways of worship and forms of worship. This is not a new thing that he's trying to twist your faith. 
It's not a new thing. This is an old thing. They were sacrificing their children to their gods, and that was normal. And then, you want to get God real mad? He clears out the way, sets your path straight, brings you in, gives you the promise, gives you freedom, gives you peace, gives you joy, gives you hope, gives you life. And then you go and start sacrificing your children to the very gods he drove out to give you this place. And you go, oh, well, I'm not doing that. Come on, never sacrificed my son to their gods. Well, the Bible tells us clearly. The Bible tells us. It says in Ephesians chapter four, it says, Verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, come on, there's an instead. There's an old and there's an instead. And, and this is not optional. God's word is not optional. It's not, well, I'm this level of Christian. I just haven't gotten there yet. God, is, his grace and his mercy is dealing with you till the day you die. But don't mistake the grace and the mercy of God that's dealing with your heart as the 10-step plan into heaven. Because it's not. It's one step. Jesus, forgive me. I mean, this should be always where we're at as believers. This is it. Forgive me, Lord. You should be, when you speak a word, one word, out of your mouth and you're the Holy Spirit checks you and says, that wasn't right. Right then and there, forgive me, Lord. It's a lie of the pit of hell to tell you don't need to repent. You've already repented. That's just Satan's door into your heart. Then you start harboring that. Oh, whatever. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Yes, thank you for your grace, Lord, and forgive me for speaking in my old formal way what you told me to throw off. And it's only through you. I know that, so help me, Lord. Help me to speak only life. It's repentance and then crying out to him for him to do it. Come on, and who can testify you've seen God do that in your life already? Instead, let the Spirit... Renew your thoughts and attitudes. Verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. There's that word again. How is, how do you live righteous? He tells you, if you live righteous, set your eyes on my kingdom. We already prayed it, and I believe that's going to come. It's a simple prayer. The whole thing is simple. Jesus, come into my life. It's a simple gospel. But how do we do that? Holy Spirit, renew me. How do we renew? How do we let him renew us? Well, he's going to speak to you. He's going to say, hey, this is what the word says. And Adam, you're not living like this. And I could either go, Holy Spirit, that's, that's condemnation. Holy Spirit, you're religious. Holy Spirit, you're just too traditional. Or I can say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing that darkness in my heart and working on me. Now take it from me. I give it to you. And watch him do it. Because it goes on, it says in verse 27, 
talking about a foothold for the devil. See, when our sin, he's talking about anger, but as you let, if you try to stay in your sin and try to have the spirit, you're giving a foothold to the devil. But in verse 30, and this is what I wanted to get to, verse 30, it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. And that's that picture. They were sacrificing their literal children to a, to a not literal, but it was a literal stone God. He thought he was literal, but it was a rock they didn't realize. And they worshiped this God and gave their sons and daughters to them. And the, the New Testament tells us the very same thing to beware of. After I've done everything for you, remember, he identified you as his own. Remember, don't forget, you've been identified with God. And the Holy Spirit, he's with you to guarantee that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So do not bring sorrow, or you may know it as do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Worldwide, and I'm not ashamed, and I don't care. Let it go out to the airwaves because it's the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord is incredibly grieved with his church. The Lord is grieved with his people. We have not lived the way that his word tells us to. Even when we've surrendered so much, you've there is never enough. And that's not a condemnation. That is not a weight that you're supposed to carry. But at the very moment when Jesus was sweating blood, he was so... He was so heavy with the will of God that he put on him, but he stood back up and he said, not my will, your will be done, and pushed onto the cross anyway. At the moment where you are sweating blood and you are being put on a cross, then you can say, okay, Lord, I've done it all. Every single thing that you've asked me to do, I've done. And until that moment, the Holy Spirit is still looking. He doesn't come and do it in a harsh way. He's the softest, most loving Spirit of God that you could possibly imagine. And He will speak to you softly, and then He'll speak to you softly, and then He'll bring you a word. You'll hear it on the radio, and then He'll send you a friend, then He'll send you a dream. And then it starts getting like, listen, your life's at stake. Your life's at stake. This is serious. There's people around you that not only you, now you're affecting those around you. And then finally, whoosh, finally, only at the end, just like a father with a child, morning, 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 bam. Not me, just, you know, that's what people do. I've heard. I've heard that's the way that, that it goes in my life. Come on, let's stand. We need to rely on him. The Lord's calling us back. We need to be a different people, period. And as I preached last week, Caleb was, Caleb and Joshua, the only two that survived out of an entire generation because they relied on God. Plain and simple, period. They set their eyes on him when everyone else had their eyes set on their belly. We thank you, Lord. We just praise you, Lord God, that you're with us. We thank you, Lord, that you are revealing to us. You are so kind and merciful. You're revealing to us, Lord, sin in our lives. Not to condemn us and not to weigh us down. That's what the devil does. But you have revealed it to take it from us forever. 
and to give us in its place, in sin's place, you have, your desire is to give us more of your spirit, more life, more joy, more hope, more peace. And I thank you, Lord. It's only for our good that you take it from us so that we could have more of you. And Lord, I pray that every block, every single block, come on, let's raise our hands. Lord, we're releasing our lives to you. Every block that has been laid out of our own strength, building our own kingdom, Lord, tear it down now. We don't want to waste any more time. Just tear it down, Lord. We want to build. I pray, Lord, if it's only a foot high, at least it'll be your kingdom and it will enter eternity. Lord, we want to build. That's the cry of this church. We want to build for eternity. We've got our eyes set on the promise, set on you, and set, Lord, on the eternal promise. I thank you, Lord, for all that you've already done in us. You've already done so much. The Lord loves us so much. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He's speaking to your heart right now. Jesus loves you, and he's calling you to himself. He's calling you closer. He comes gently. He comes softly. And he says, give that thing to me. Give your sin to me. Give your will to me. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We give you glory. Amen.